Oh, thank you, Paul. You're getting better every year. And you read that so that we could really remember it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. Good to see this uh, auditorium full, filling up. There's still room for more, but this feels so good, and I can see you, uh, and that's awesome. So uh, just uh, thanks for the privilege to be here this morning. Are you sitting down? I can see you all are sitting down. Uh, The year was 1993. We were just ready to dedicate our new church building. Took a year and a half to build it. It was the day before, just the day before, and I got a call, uh, are you sitting down? And it was one of our pastors on staff, and I said, I can be, why? Uh, Well, he said the sprinkler just went off accidentally in the auditorium, the pipe burst, and there are gallons of water shooting out, going over some of the pews, and and it's going down towards the front of the sanctuary. There's at least a 100 gallons there already. Oh, my. And our dedication is tomorrow. I was glad to sit down for a minute. And then, of course, the problem had to be solved. Well, it's a good posture for today's sermon, and you'll see why in a minute. There's a wonderful text in front of us today. You've already caught it many times, 2 Samuel 7. Anna did an amazing job with it, so creative this morning, reminding us of of the truth of this text. Um, It only took her five minutes. It'll take me probably five times that uh, to, uh, to say the same thing. But, you know, it brought a surge of joy and excitement to my heart to read this text and to reread it and to read it again. There's a gentleman by the name of Marquez, Marquez, who tells the story of a village where people are affected with a strange, contagious amnesia. And this amnesia started with the older members of the village And then it began to work its way down to the younger members and to the younger generations. And the disease caused people to forget the names of common everyday objects. Sometimes I think I've been in that village. A young man in the village who was still unaffected by the amnesia realized what was happening. And he began to put labels on everything. This is a door. This is a window. Uh, This is a cow, which needs to be milked every morning. And on the main road leading into the town, he erected two signs. One read, the name of our village is Macondo. Just in case you forget, we live in Macondo. And the other sign in much larger print read, God exists. Just in case the village forgot who God was. The sign was a reminder of God and who he was and that he exists. There are some things that we must never forget. Most significant of all is God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, spiritual amnesia comes to visit us all at times. Sometimes when things are going really well for us, we need a big sign that says, God exists. Don't forget him in your prosperity. Don't forget him in your affluence. Don't forget him when you've been blessed and blessed and blessed. And sometimes when times are really, really hard, 
We need a big sign that says God exists because when we understand that he exists, we have hope in our hearts and we understand that we have a purpose and that God has a calling for each of us. We're not just here to make time, but we're here for a purpose. Now, David, as you know, is our biblical character and, and that we're studying these days. And it, it's, a, it's a very pertinent study because he constantly needed to reread that sign in his life that God exists. And what, God wanted to use him. He had his hand on David. And whether he was on the run from King Saul or all was well in his world, God had his hand on him. Now we come to a chapter where all is well in David's world. Surprise. No sprinklers going off. No pipes bursting. All is well. And when does that ever happen? <laughs> what, what, what do you do when everything is great? Wow. Well, it says when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. So that's the launch point for the chapter. And he's been on the run for 20 long years, watching his back at every turn. What a stressful 20 years when somebody's after you. And he can look back now at the point where he's at and he can observe how God has led him as a young shepherd boy. He can, he can remember the day when somehow he was brought to the front of the military lines. He didn't expect this to happen, that he would have a confrontation with Goliath that day. And, and he walked away with Goliath's head in his hands and, and that changed the trajectory of his life. And he moves on through life. But uh, now King Saul is, is also dead. And David is alive, and he's the new king of both the south and the north of the country. And, and he's a servant king. He approaches the throne with humility. He brings a God-honoring perspective to political office. That's amazing. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Pastor Adam talked about it last week, and what a challenge that was to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And what David learned through all of that was just to have a humble heart and to walk humbly before God. And so there's peace in the land of Judah and Israel. Shalom was the banner greeting everyone living in the north and the south. And all of his wives seemed to be happy. And his kids were not fighting. And these were such good days. We don't always have them, but when peaceful interludes come and there's peace in our world, we're so grateful for that. But there are also times when you get rest from outside forces uh, at work in your life. I mean, it could be the pressures of work, and some of you are here today, and you're just feeling that pressure at work and how that complicates our lives. For David, it, it means that there was rest from his enemies, for some reason, everyone was taking a break from war. The Philistines were no longer the dominant force at the moment. They were probably retooling. But at the moment, they were quiet. And there was this wonderful interlude of peace. It's a time when you think, I could go on vacation. Things are so good here. Well, David didn't take a vacation, but he took some time to reflect. And the king summoned Nathan the prophet. 
He said, look, David. David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord's with you. Now, there are times when, as I said, when you have this interlude in life, like David, that, that things are so refreshingly good and, uh, and uh, that, that you can't quite believe it, that it's happening. Because uh, often we feel such pressure from this world. But here's an interlude. Here's a time of peace. And, and David begins to reflect and he begins to dream. Have you been dreaming about where God may be taking you in these next seasons of life. I hope you have some time this summer to do that. We've all been dreaming of the fall, and I know here at TCC, we're dreaming to fill this auditorium right back up, feeling excited about a children's ministry, feeling excited about brunch ministry once again. It feels like we've all been scattered and now we just long to be back together and because we miss one another and we miss the vibrancy of being together and worshiping together like we did this morning. For all of us is this reminder uh, to spend time like David doing some reflection, giving thanks. Look how good he's been to you. Look what he's done in your life. Look at how he's provided for you. There may be questions that he hasn't answered for you, but you could always see that big sign in front of you that, he, that God exists. And if he exists, then how can I bless him? How can I make my life count for him? How can I be purposeful in my life? David was at that place in his life where he wanted to use his time and his resources and his knowledge to make a difference for God. I've watched people make very deliberate choices on how to use their time and, and their resources as they grow older. What if you only had five more years to live? I mean, how would you live them? Regardless of what, what your age is right now. How would you handle your finances? How would you handle your time? How would you handle the, where you would put your energy? How would you handle your priorities? This was a reflective time for, for David. And Nathan, David's pastor, was an encourager of David to go ahead and dream. And whatever he was dreaming of, God would surely bless that dream. God would honor that dream. And isn't that just the best to have some fans in your court who cheer for you and who say, dream those impossible dreams. Give them to God and he will show you how and when. God always wants the best for us. There's a verse in Psalm 32 that is fast becoming one of my favorite passages in scripture it says the Lord says I will guide you along the best pathway for your life I will advise you and watch over you do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control a man told the story of walking along a street in Hong Kong and uh, he came upon a tattoo studio and in the window was a uh, display of the kinds of tattoos 
that you could have carved on your body. And one tattoo was especially disturbing. It was, it, it was uh, born to lose. And the man looked at that and he, he walked into the shop in astonishment and pointing to the words, asked the Chinese tattoo artist, does anyone really put a tattoo like that on their body? Born to lose? And the tattoo artist said, yes, sometimes. But he said, I, I just can't believe that anybody in their right mind would put that on their arm, born to lose. And the Chinese man simply tapped his forehead and said in broken English, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. Oh, it reminds us that this is not the message of God for our lives. None of us are born as losers. We're winners because we are his creation. And we are winners when we pay attention to a big sign that exists for all of us, that God is there, God is there. And he has a purpose for our lives, and he wants the best for our lives. And here's what was on David's mind. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in the tent. Well, Nathan jumped right on David's comments. I mean, it's pretty refreshing to have a pastor listen to the dreams of of a parishioner who says they want to do something for God. Well, what's there to think about? Yes, if you want to do something for God, look, the runway is clear. Taxi on out there and get lift off. I'm cheering for you, brother or sister. You want to build something for God, a house for God? Well, that's awesome. Just go for it, David. And and friends, I don't question David's heart here. I mean, he looked at where he was living and he had a beautiful cedar log house, cedar given to him by the king of Tyre, uh, King Haram. And no doubt these were right, the cedars of Lebanon, right? And David awoke every morning in his house to the fragrant smell of cedar. And I don't know if you love cedar smells, but I love the smell of cedar. We had a deck built for us uh, years ago, and it was built out of cedar. And it was so nice to smell that cedar for, for years. And David looks at all his blessings and where he gets to live, and then he thinks of the place of worship, and he's mindful that God's house is not nearly as nice as my house. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. And I think that's pretty significant, friends. Not everyone is troubled by that, by this contrast between our lifestyle and the neglect of God's church or his ministry, and not just speaking of buildings, but of the ministry. And when we're obedient to respond to the needs of the ministry on, on this earth, God is pleased. When we take care of, of, of ourselves and we act as if, well, that's the main thing, as long as I've got, got myself taken care of and I got a few extra shekels and it's all done and I'll hand that off to God and he can use it as he wants. That's not honoring to God. Those are the leftovers. 
God has reminded us that in Malachi chapter 3 to bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And he says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease and your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's simply an agricultural truth that when you plant seed and it dies in the ground and then it sprouts and it it multiplies 50-fold or 100-fold, that seed multiplies and comes back to you. I smiled. Kenneth Kenneth Chafin writes, David's attitude would have thrilled the prophet Haggai who you remember railed against God's people because they built for themselves paneled houses while the temple lay in ruins. I was just reading the story just a week ago of Robert Kraft. You know Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots football team. And he happened to be in Russia, and he visited Putin at the Kremlin And he made the mistake of showing the Russian leader one of his Super Bowl rings. And Putin took the ring and put it on his finger. He admired it, made some comments about it. And then he put it in his pocket. And his KGB guys surrounded him. And then they walked out with Kraft's ring worth $25,000. I said, that can't be true. That can't be a true story. And I looked it up and got confirmation that that happened. Kraft talked to the State Department, U.S. State Department, and they encouraged him in the interest of U.S.-Russian relationships to lie and say he gave it to Putin as a gift. But Kraft couldn't keep it any longer to himself, and he broke his silence in 2012 and told the story. And as they say, the story seems to check out. Not a great moment of glory for Robert Kraft, as he might have expected. But as somebody said, don't feel too badly. He's got three or four or five more where they came from. When you have your glory moments, how do you respond? You know your glory moments when all is well in the land and, and the Lord has blessed you and taken good care of you. And sometimes we, we use those glory moments to strategize to get to a higher, to a higher level, to a higher moment. You know, isn't it true like when you get your first car? I remember my first car was a, a very plain Jane Black old Valiant. And, but, but I no sooner had it than I was strategizing to get up another notch, and then another notch, and then another notch. And it's the same when you buy a house. You're always strategizing that, well, the next house will have this, and it'll have this. And David is awesome. He turns his heart to God, and he asks why the ark of God remains in a tent. And some of this stuff is the reason why David is a man after God's heart. He is focusing his heart upon God. And he's honoring him. And now he wants to build a place for God. A great place for God. Like, I mean, a great place for God. Like the kind of place where where he lives, but much, much better than where he lives. But that night when Nathan got home and maybe was about to tuck into bed, he had a word from God. 
Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? A bit of a surprise from God. You would have thought that he maybe would have wanted the fulfillment of David's planning and strategizing. But he said, no. Who told you that I wanted something like that? Where did you get that idea? David had a great plan, but it wasn't the Lord's plan. Have you ever been there? Uh, Have you ever done some strategizing only to find out (laughs) the Lord? The Lord isn't in it. We come up with some great plans and the Lord says, no, you, you, you think I didn't think about that? It's not the answer for you. I've got a better answer. And always when the Lord puts you on hold or redirects you, it's because he has something better. And usually I end up with this disappointment in my heart when things don't work out. And then uh, I hear from the Lord that, no, there's something better. And, and that he knew that from the beginning. And yet I was trying to push my agenda. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Right now I, I would share with you that we're trusting God for what he has for, for us at Southwest uh, Community Church this fall. And it is basically the question, where will we be? Uh, because we're not sure of uh, re-entrance into the school that we've been uh, worshiping in. Uh, and, you know, we can strategize and push some doors, but it, it, in the end, God has the best for us, and we know that, and he will show us the way. Now, if you haven't seen this already, I want to make sure that you grasp it. Because uh, Paul, Paul was really emphasizing this too in his reading. The word house is seen a couple of times in the passage. And it has two different meanings. And this is really significant. Basically, David wanted to build God a house. But God says, no, David, I'll build you a house. No, I'll build you a house, God. God says, no, I'll, I'll build you a house. Now, here's the first time it's used. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? And here the house, word house, means uh, temple. And here's the second use of the word house. But my favor will not be taken from him, David, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. And here the word house means dynasty. So it's really powerful. David, I won't let you build a house for me, but I will build your house. And God did build a house for David. And we call it the line of David. And and that line extended all the way from the time of David to the time of Jesus. And Jesus was born from the house of David, the house of David. Now, isn't that just like God? We have the chance to be a blessing to God But we see how it all shakes down. And really God is way ahead of us and he's blessing us. 
Now, just to make sure we cover a couple of details, God didn't say a house or temple could never be built, but not at the moment. He wanted to remind them of how well it had worked. The ark was housed in a, in a tent, and it was so mobile. And he wanted to remind them that it worked well, especially all through that wilderness journey. They understood to be the, the God, him to be the God who moved with them. He was always with them. He journeyed with them wherever they were. So the new house or temple wasn't necessarily necessary at the moment. He was always with them from place to place. And I speculate that God didn't want his people to think that he could be somehow contained in a building, even, even a nice building, that, that he couldn't be contained in, in a certain location or in a creed or in a human plan or in a strategy. And the second reason is found in First Chronicles 22 is that David had been a man of war and it would fall to his son Solomon to build the temple, that David was a soldier and a fighter and not a builder. And David was simply called upon to accept that. I don't understand it. It wasn't a judgment against David, just the way God wanted it, period. He didn't want David to build the temple. Friends, can I just stop here for a moment uh, and just bring some application? God can redirect your life. You thought you had it all mapped out? And it's just got to go this way. We're going to make it go this way. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's not because God wants to discipline you or reject you. He simply wants to redirect you. He wants to redirect you. And we have to be flexible enough to say, that's okay, God, wherever you lead, wherever you lead, however you do this, I trust you. And our job is to listen carefully from day to day for a fresh word from God. God, are you redirecting me? Do you have something new that you're doing and I need to pay attention? That it's not the same old, same old, but, but you've got to, you're going to redirect. You've got, you've got something that you're saying. And just to be able to say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. And David was not to be a builder. God doesn't call everyone to build temples or build churches or or whatever. God has all kinds of unique ways to use us and make us a blessing. And if God uses someone else to accomplish what you thought you might do, just say, God, as long as the job gets done. I remember years ago... uh, senior pastor well up in his years and he was just retiring he said uh, on the verge of his retirement and we were just getting to one know what another and he said Ken he said Ken uh, let me just give you this bit of advice hold everything loosely hold everything loosely have a listening ear to God and then just hold it all loosely because ultimately God is the one who wants to move you back and forth And so just allow him to do that. So it wasn't that the temple would never be built. Uh, It it was a timing thing. And we know it in our own lives that God has a timing and he has a method. And they're they're uniquely his. Is there an amen out there somewhere? Oh, yeah, I got a few. Sometimes, you know, more actually gets done when we quiet our heart before God than when we aggressively try to move things on our own. Now here's the question just before we land the plane. 
Are you sitting down? David, are you sitting down? And verse 18 says, The Lord, are the king, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he prayed. And he immediately, upon hearing Nathan, he immediately took a seat before the Lord. This is what I love about David. I think this is what God loved about David, that David sat. Uh, It's not so much a physical posture as a spiritual posture. This is probably the most crucial and dynamic act that David does, maybe more than all of his military strategies. He sat. And as soon as he heard what God was saying, he received it. He didn't argue some of the points. He just said, well, he just said, well, okay, Lord, okay. And he got himself out of the driver's seat. And he forgot about himself that he was the king and he could make the decision. He forgot about that. I love that about his heart. He just relinquished so quickly. You see, regardless of the journey that we're on, the one thing that we'll all, all of us will have to do at one point in our journey is relinquish. And for many of us, it's tens and tens and scores of, of times that we do need to do that. Somewhere along the line, Lord, I was going this way, but you redirected me and you want me to, to go that way. So, Lord, I relinquish. We're going your way. We're going your way. Sometimes that's very difficult, especially when we're strong, strong-minded. And we're bursting with the plans of God for serving him and serving him in our way. And he says, no, it won't be you doing that for me. But Lord, I'm prepared to do it. No, but sorry, I'm not calling you to do that. Are you sitting down? David sat and and look at where he picks up. He picks up on the promise of the Lord to build his house. He quickly just kind of dismisses that one part of it. And now he focuses, Lord, you're going to build my house? And he says, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you brought me thus far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Look at this next sentence. Do you deal with everyone that way, O Sovereign Lord? Listen to his gratitude. Listen to his humility. Listen to his being overwhelmed by the grace and love of God. And here it is in verse 20. Doesn't it hit all of us? It's like, Lord, you know me. You know all my flaws. And and you're going to build a dynasty through my life? You know my shortcomings and you know my failures and yet you still want to use me? Yes. Yes. Yes, David. What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like. Isn't that honesty? Then he says, oh, sovereign Lord, there is no one like you. We've never even heard of another God like you. I, I love it. We've never even heard of another God like you. Every once in a while, we probably all come to a place in life where we feel that, like you've been so good to me, you've provided so well, Lord, you've been such a blessing, and it's just overwhelming. Uh, A wonderful song we sang this morning, I will build my life. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. 
Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with all your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Now, this is just an aside and we'll close, but if you follow the life of David, you'll actually see that David put a lot of things into place for the temple to be built by Solomon. I I had never quite realized that before. He didn't build the temple, but he did a lot of spade work. And it just shows the heart of David. He didn't pout that he couldn't build the temple. He put some things in place and he graciously cheered for Solomon. And that's the heart of David. What a father. What a father. What a great dad. Here's a great moment in his life uh, when he stands tall and he says, God, I'm going to do as much as I can to support my son as he fulfills the dream that was on his heart. And I'll see that the nails are there. I'll see that the lumber's there. I'll see that the stones are all there. I think he even read that he, he cleared a place for where the temple was going to be. And then he says, I'll back off and I'll say, Lord bless my son. May your name be honored through my son. May a mighty chorus of praise go to heaven because of my son. What a father. Two quick thoughts to take with us in a new week. Number one, if God says no to something that is honoring to him, It simply means that he has a better way. We might have it in our hearts how it can best be done, but our best advice is just to sit before the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want this to go? The second thing is that the heart that I bring to every intersection of life is always teamwork, uh, support, and humility. He will call someone to build a temple in this case Solomon, but he will call us all to be faithful and supportive and team-focused and humble and obedient. There's a big sign that's in front of all of us that says God exists. We will not forget that he exists, that he loves us so wonderful in Jesus our Lord, and he calls us to obey him. And I'm good with however you lead, Father. I like what Eugene Peterson uh, said, and uh, I won't quote it exactly. He said, don't worry that your legs will atrophy as you sit before the Lord and wait. Don't worry that your legs will atrophy. You for sure will be able to get up again. In fact, when you get up, you'll have more confidence and more joy because you sat down, because you sat down. One by one, he took them from me. All the things I valued most until I was empty-handed. Every glittery toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving. In my rags and poverty. Till I heard his voice inviting, lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. God is ready to fill your empty hands like you would never believe. 
Let's pray together. God, we lift our hands in surrender. We relinquish our plans in, in favor of yours. And we loosen our grip on those things that aren't helping us, but they're hindering us. And we, see, we receive grace and forgiveness anew. And we respond today with, yes, Lord, for whatever you desire, help us to sit before you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.